0: Welcome
1: to the Arsenal
0: Vision post-match podcast. Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. This is me and lean from arsenalvision.co.uk. In today's show, Elliot and Paul will be discussing the 5-1 victory away to West Ham at the Olympic Stadium. Oh, the Alexis Sanchez baby, eh? Eh? Uh, what a performance. What an exciting performance as well. Um, we've been waiting to see a performance like that for a while now from him. Well, I have anyway. I mean, ever since he's moved from the left to in the middle, obviously he's played really well and the team has played better offensively and, you know, he's created chances and he's scored scored goals as well. But just waiting for that moment where it switches for him, you know, where where he makes a difference as, as, a, as a striker himself. A tight game, because you've got to remember, we 1-0 up for quite a while into that second half. In a game where he grabbed it by the scruff of the neck, as they say, and um, and he wins us the match. And that's what he did. At 1-0 up, he got a pass in from Mustafi, spun past the defender, beat defenders in the box, and smashed it bottom corner. Now, you know, there are not many players in the world who can do that. And Luckily, we've got one player who can do that now. We could do it before, but he's playing in positions where it's more useful, really. And um, he made a big difference in that game. Don't forget him. he made the first goal for Ozil um, as well with some excellent centre-forward play. It's unselfish too. He's a player of top, top class. His second goal was very much an Ian Wright type finish, I thought. Edge of the box, let it run across his body in bottom corner. Instinctive finish. And his third goal was just pure pure horniness, really. I think that's the best way to describe it, really. Just horniness. Uh so yeah I'm very excited about the performance and I hope hope he gets a lot of confidence from that performance. Uh I keep saying performance, stop saying performance. Hope he gets a lot of confidence from his display. Yeah, we can start racking up the winds again after a, a so-so in November. Uh we've got some difficult fixtures coming up again. But if we got Alexis Sanchez playing the way he's doing, then um bring it on. I say bring it on. Anyway, I've rambled on for far too long. Apologies over to the guys enjoy the podcast back after Basel 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 the team from Switzerland beginning with B see you then
2: Alexis Sanchez performs filthy acts before tens of thousands at London Stadium and millions watching at home on TV. When will this end? This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. Alexis Sanchez did dirty, dirty things on a football pitch in front of millions of watching eyes, and I have to admit, I loved every second of it. And here to wax lyrical about that very filthy act, among other things that happened on the day, Paul, you can find him on Twitter at pause My pants. Hello, pause.
1: Or just to wax?
2: Just to wax. We'll do some waxing. Yeah. Yeah. If you're doing waxing, my back, uh, you know what? Never mind. Um, (laughs) Tim is not here because he is en route to uh, Basel, Ba, 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 Basel. Basel. Bezle. Bezle. He's, he's en route to Switzerland. Uh, he was complaining about the town not having enough tourist attractions for him to enjoy um, on Twitter. So there you go. The multicultural uh, purveyor of European culture. I said culture. Anyway, um, okay, so fantastic game, fantastic results. Some fantastic results throughout uh, the Premier League on the weekend. Uh, Liverpool were 3-1 up, then 4-3 down. Yeah, that was
1: good. That was. Did great. you watch that one? I
2: did, did watch, watch it. That- I, I rather enjoyed it.
1: <laughs> I didn't. I watched, like, the start of it, and then it was all going horribly wrong. Yeah. And then I started – I had it on delay, and then I, like – I can like, go better I, for I, you. I, yeah, go ahead. I was
2: stuck in a layover, and I was like, uh, not only am I stuck in a layover, but I'm stuck watching Liverpool pound Bournemouth. And then
0: I got to watch yeah. them come
2: back and win because I had nothing better to do but right. eat Auntie Anne's pretzels. Um, so
1: I started, like, fast-forwarding it to, like, where the Bournemouth scored a goal, and then – and Liverpool's garden, and then I fast-forward a bit, and, and then I watched the last like fifteen minutes. Just wonderful. It's yeah, great. it was bu-
2: brilliant. And then uh, the special one-one uh, at Everton. Yeah, yeah, yeah they are That's ten good. points behind us. So think about this for a second. Chelsea, the team he used to manage, are nineteen points better than they were last season. United, mm-hmm. the team he currently manages, are seven points worse than they were last season. So I wonder it if doesn't if there's sound a that special to me. No. Yeah. Specialist in failure, perhaps. In any event, let's talk about Arsenal. It was a 5-1 victory, just your routine, go to West Ham and win 5-1 Woo-hoo! away kind of day. Right. Now, look, I-, I think we will have to get into the issue of just how much we benefited from them being shit and also not having any players that can defend. But let's not start there. No,
1: let's start... In fact, let's see how long we can ignore that yeah, in our fine. analysis.
2: Look, let's start with Alexis Sanchez, because I-, I think... It really has gotten to the point now where he is as good as anyone in the Premier League. Um, he he is playing centre-forward the way we've wanted a player to play centre-forward, and I know Alan Shearer asked on Match of the Day, well, why didn't Arsene Wenger do this sooner? Um, that seems a little bit Debbie Downerish ish to, to get into, so let's skip that question. Uh, and, I
1: d- and I don't quite get the logic of it. I mean, he could knock uh, Arsene Wenger for that, but that doesn't... Make Alexis Sanchez not world class? No, I
2: think he was knocking Arsene Wenger. Let's be clear. I think his his dumb statement about Ar- Alexis not being world class is he has to win a title for Arsenal, as if there aren't you know ten other players on the pitch and also other good teams in the Premier League. Um, yeah,
1: and then he comes back on the arson thing. It's basically deflection because he doesn't like the pressure because everybody around him is looking at him like he's got like three heads saying Alexis isn't world class because he obviously is.
2: Okay, so just. Give me your experience watching Alexis on the day.
1: I did a lot of waxing. No, he was <laughs> he was absolutely superb. I've got to say, it's not that I ever thought those, he wasn't great or world-class. I was very, very frustrated with him for a year or two. Um, and yes, it wasn't his fault because he was stuck out in the left wing with Giroud in the middle. Uh, but I was frustrated with him. I, I thought... I. He's a selfish player, uh, potentially in a really good way. But uh, I think he was in a – to me, there was a little bit of a funk associated with it. It, it, was, it was a little bit more than just a, a kind of a, a game-grabbing, goal-grabbing guy who grabs a game by the scruff of the neck, single-handed kind of thing. So I've had my frustrations with him for a little while. Um, he, the, the thing about him is he needs to be the man, if you ask me. Uh, I think he's showing that, Um, and the beauty of it is the other man on the team, Ozil, doesn't need to be the man in the spotlight, so they have this wonderful, uh, you know, you have the extrovert, and if you want to call him the introvert, and it just, in so many ways, it just works, they interchange positions, they interchange locations, Uh, They look for each other. They look to distribute to each other.
2: There's definitely a rapport there in terms of understanding, hey, you're the other best guy on the pitch, so I should make sure I get you involved.
1: And so often this year, uh, Sanchez has accidentally ended up the playmaker, though it's not that accidental. Well, that's how we got our first goal. Yeah, and Ozil has accidentally ended up the striker by being the player most forward or on on the shoulder of the the final man. Who was it? Uh, Jonathan Wilson had written an article about a week and a half ago. Uh, I think it was to do with like uh, uh, one of those stats sites or or uh, one of the uh, fo- uh, computer football uh, sites, and was justifying how Ozil was really good and stuff, but he's slow. And I'm like, what? He's certainly
2: not as slow as you expect. Look, I think the thing that's interesting to me about Alexis is when he was stuck out on the wing, I felt like he waited for the ball to come to him to come to life in the match. And since he's been given the the number nine role with Alexis, and we'll talk formation in a second because I think there's something happening there. I think this is becoming more of a 4-4-1-1, but with Ozil behind him, he's... He's alive off the ball all the time now. He understands he has the free reign to come back to the ball, to drift into channels, to move wherever. He feels he's going to be in the best position to receive it. And as a result, he's just so much more alive and involved in the play. Um you know, in a way, I mean not to invoke the name, but he is playing the number nine the way Van Percy played the number nine for us. Granted, with a lot more vim and vigor and energy and dribbling and, and Chilean-ness gusto. and gusto. And brio. But but you know what, Paul? He's dropping deep when he needs to. He's creating for his teammates. I mean he's he's playing it in the zones, so to speak, where Van Persie played it. Um yeah. and, and it's working. And the thing that I think is interesting is he also seems to have an awareness of now of when it's time to involve the team and when it's time to take responsibility. I've always sort of felt that what this team lacked was someone who was willing in the big moment to step up and say, this is my time. He feeds Ozil for the first goal. It's an easy choice to make after making the explosive and athletic play of chasing the ball down that Coughlin intercepted and um, getting free and being able to make that pass. But the second goal was probably from a position I mean, the first touch is brilliant. The the power then to turn and drive is spectacular. But maybe if that's the 30th minute, he tries to find a teammate. I think there was a recognition in that moment that we've had a lot of chances to put this match to bed and we haven't done it. And I'm going to take the responsibility here. And I think that's a sign of a, a really important player is he can set up his teammates and he can be a creator, but he can also take the responsibility on when the match needs to be won. And he did that with the... The first goal that he scored, he did it again with the second goal that he scored, and then after they clawed the match back. I mean, I know Oxley Chamberlain scored, but but that last goal he scored just shows the confidence that's oozing through him. I mean,
1: is this? And he's, to your point, he's loving that role. I mean, the last goal was a guy who's just loving being the man.
2: Yeah, and and you know what's great about it too is that he he's playing. I mean, sometimes you see these players who are individually brilliant, but they're disruptive to what you're trying to do. And I think that that maybe is what you were trying to hit on. When he was on the left wing, I think there was something about his style and his individualism that was disruptive. But in that number nine role, especially the way we're playing it, He really can do what he wants without disrupting the flow of the team.
1: Um, Yeah, I really felt that my major issue with him on the left, apart from all the tactical things uh, and the way he'd kind of go a number of games without, if you like, contributing in a significant statistical way, although he always put the effort in, there was just a bit of uh, playing for himself and then waiting for Chile. You know, his games with Chile for his his glory moments. Uh, And I know that's harsh on him because he was stuck out there on the side. He did say it was his favorite position and all that, but people don't always know what's good for him. Just sometimes when you're put in the right position where you can connect with all the players on the field and you have the run of the field, you can really, really express yourself. And he's got the ability, but he's also got the mentality for it. I mean, he's just... He's alive. He wants to be the man. He, a lot of players want to be the man. I think we've seen that. We saw that a bit with Theo. And it's not that I've given up on his striking abilities, but but he found out he didn't really like the hot seat when it came down to it. Well, um,
2: I, you know, I mean, I think he did all right. I just think he did look, all right. Theo yeah. Walcott is a quality player. I genuinely believe that. But Alexis Sanchez is in that echelon of player who can really be in the top, very, very, very top tier. Um, yeah, we've probably all
1: now. been in conversations about uh, before this happened about how Le- Alexis could be the Aguero of our team or the Suarez of our team. If we go over conversations over the last few years, and we kind of gave up on it just because it looked like he was never going to play in the center, we were never really going to see it because you know my guess was it hadn't really worked out in practice or something, um, well, and, and now we're seeing him you know, playing at that South American elite striker level that they just seems every country in South America produces one genius striker.
2: Yeah, I mean, here's the thing also, right? I mean, he is going to be a 70% pass completion guy. He is going to be a lose-the-ball-three-to-five-times-a-game guy, a guy who tries a lot of dribbles. On the left, on the wings, either wing, That can leave you very exposed. That can put your fullbacks in bad position, especially because he is very defensively switched on in the attacking half, but not very defensively switched on in the defensive half, if that makes sense. Um, He will chase down balls and and tackle and Harry and press aggressively up front, but not as much dropping deeper. Um, When you put someone in the number nine role, you can tolerate a lower pass completion percentage. You can tolerate less dropping back to defend. You can tolerate... The occasional dribble that results in nothing. So, I think it it allows him to exaggerate his strengths and it minimizes the degree to which his weaknesses, or if you want to call them weaknesses, but potential weaknesses, uh, can negatively impact the the side. Um,
1: He's a high risk award player. So,
2: yeah, quick quick word about the that third goal. I mean, that is the kind of goal that you can only score if you really have class oozing through every pore of your body right i mean the 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 uh, composure the idea itself is just uh outrageous
1: um when you think when you think like it's basically a guy in a ball and everything that can be thought of already has been done on the pitch i mean you know it's been done there's no there are almost new tricks it's like once a decade comes with something yeah and like he comes out with this and you know it was good, because even the people who should hate him were like, "Holy cow, look at that sucker
2: I mean, you know you've had a good day when the opposition ball boys want a group yeah. selfie with you, right um
1: <laughs> do you see the picture of the guy behind the yeah the yeah when, he, oh, when that he was made, great, and
2: the thing that's incredible about it is. If you look just the moment before he does the fake, the thing I love is he looks up and looks around him to see if there's an easier play on. You know what I mean? Yeah. This yeah. is not a, oh, it's 4-1, what's a fifth goal, I'm going to try something crazy. He makes the conscious decision, in my opinion, that what he's about to do is the best way to score and that there was no easier option available. Um,
1: yeah, he, he has a remarkably quick mind. I mean, you see other players like a theo or an ox or whatever doing good things and doing skillful things but it's like uh alexis's mind is working at two three times the speed where he can do even more skillful things uh with more change more pace more kind of stutter steps speed up jump to one side jump to the other and he's still looking around to see what the options are i mean it's just it's phenomenal the rate at which he's clocking what's going on about him, whereas you'll see Theo getting locked into a move, into an angle, into a shot. You'll see Ox. You'll see almost everybody but Ozil and Sanchez, who spin, you know basically mm-hmm. their, their heads are rotating 360 degrees in, even though they're locked into a current best line of attack, they're still evaluating options as they go along, and they never stop looking for options. That, that, you see exactly the same thing with the, the wonder ozel goal. I mean, he didn't decide up front he was going to round the keeper, then round the second player down. He was just riding the curve, looking at his options, rolling, 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 He made the decision evaluating. that was
2: best in the moment, each, each individual time, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the... the so. The footballing intellect thing with Ozil is obvious, but I think it's it's there in spades with, with Sanchez as well. And the two yeah. of them together have created a really exciting dynamic for us, and that's why it's going to be really hard to say goodbye to them when they both leave in the summer. <laughs> um, so let's move on for a minute.
1: That, that was the bad news of the West Ham game. Sanchez just went up 50K a week after that. Jesus. It,
2: it is getting to the point where you say these players are so good. You know, it's hard not to have PTSD from the banter era. And yeah. it, you really do have to wonder, and this is a test for Arsene Wenger as much as it is for the club and for the player. Is there a willingness to go up to whatever whatever wage it takes to keep these players? Because I can tell you this. There is no better player than Alexis Sanchez. We're going to get. There isn't. Um, maybe there are two or three players that we could potentially buy in the world who technically are on the level Alexis is on, but there's no way they have the attitude, the energy, the physicality, the durability that he has. Um, and Ozil's just different gravy. There's there's no one like him.
1: That's right. And let let's be honest. It's taken Alexis best part of three years to really bed in at this level i would i a, would
2: caveat that by saying we don't know if it would have taken him three years in this role but that, sure. that's a fair comment but but i think i don't but know we can
1: th- also say the same about ozell to some degree you know he had a a, a yes. really good start to his first season he had a maybe a slightly less impressive second season with injury blah 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 but the bottom line being, in both of them, the the payout is like the third season plus.
2: I think the sell to keep them both is, are you going to land in a situation where you have a partner who brings such great football out of you, as you two clearly do out of each other? Um,
1: and the teams are built around them. I mean, if they, I mean there aren't any easy options for them, uh, apart from maybe City. This, and um, this is the
2: problem, right? If you're not City, if you're not Madrid, if you're not Barca, if you're not Bayern, and maybe Chelsea. And neither of them extent, can
1: go to Barca or Bayern, really? Not really. No. Uh,
2: right. Well, they can, they, can they can go to Bayern.
1: can
2: go to Bayern, yeah. both of them. But I, I think the yes, challenge Bayern, is, sorry, yeah. unless you're one of those clubs, when your players reach an echelon that is uh, that is above anything that you've seen around you, I, when, when they transcend, that's the word I'm looking for, when your players reach sort of a transcendent level, there are certain clubs who can just outbid you at to a point that you can't compete, right? I mean, yeah. Not, and, and I don't want to get into transfers. I don't know why we've gone down this road. Maybe it's <laughs> that I, I'm halfway through a glass of wine that is really a half a bottle of wine. But um,
1: when you experience the the zenith, your your great fear of losing it creeps straight right in. Well, you, I mean, you just look enjoy at Suarez, for about a Liverpool. Quarter of a second. Yeah. Right.
2: I mean, Luis Suarez hit hit transcendent levels at Liverpool, and he was off. Yeah. Right. I mean, we look at we went through it with Van Persie, with Fabregas. I mean, ultimately, this is the biggest test of the club's new financial might. There is no reason we can't go to whatever heights are needed to keep them, and we'll see what happens. But,
1: uh, and continue- I... Uh, final comment. I get no... I, I know... I know we all have feelings about these things. I get... My personal vibe is I get no sense that we can't and won't make this happen. There are no guarantees in life. Uh, but, uh, you know, especially... You know, if we have a sucky season, that's another matter. If we just flame out, will so be it. But if we if we really push it to the end, those guys are enjoying life. We have money. Wenger wants to keep them. Things are different to the Van Persie years. I mean, anybody who can't see that is screwy.
2: They uh, are financially or- no qu- no question. But the fact but- remains.
1: Yeah, we're going to have come on though. we haven't sold a player no 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 i, Paul, yeah. I,
2: I i'm i totally in agreement with you what i'm saying is the fact remains that to keep these two players odds are we will have to go to a level of wage that is going to feel a little bit um is going to feel i think potentially for arson banger, there's going to be some vertigo you know what i mean um i think as I an economist and as a socialist wage guy yeah
1: no no it's yeah his issue are wages but there are ways around that there's the old signing bonus trick and you know blah 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 they, they know it, it's one thing to say you have a socialist wage but when you have a superstar in your team and we talk about arson as if he's never wanted superstars he wanted hazard um he knew he was going to have to pay a lot for him in terms of no he wanted wage suarez
2: strategy.
1: yeah he wanted suarez, he wanted suarez. those suarez. guys are going to break your your pay structure and would have for as many years back he just wasn't going to do it for somebody who wasn't hazard well you know what i think is interesting Suarez.
2: if you want to get yeah. psychological here and we have got to get off this topic but <laughs> i i don't know that arson Wenger, going into this season necessarily knew that he had this alexis sanchez on board he tried to buy jamie vardy potentially tried to look at other strikers he settled, quote-unquote, so to speak, on Alexis as striker, an experiment that he hadn't shown a lot of love for, and it has it has brought out a player that is the best in the Premier League or certainly as good. I, I don't think you could name a player in the Premier League right now who you could say definitively is better than him. I just don't know for sure that the manager believed or knew that this quality was in Alexis.
1: I, mean, I, I, I don't hope. think so either. And, and, I mean, the manager has said it. He's basically said that, Uh, and he didn't really settle on Alexis as our striker for the year. He settled on Alexis as our striker for the month of August and September and see, you know, it's another shot added for Alexis. He he didn't Feel it had really panned out and shown enough promise the the last time or two that he gave him a little bit of a look at it. Let me he ask you a question. In, if, he got Lucas in. He got Giroud in.
2: If he had gotten Lucas in sooner or Giroud was, was healthy and ready to go, yeah. is there a chance, is there a bizarro world where one of them starts at striker, Alexis is on the wing, and this never happens?
1: Sadly, I think there is. I mean, I, and I'm, I don't mean that in a negative way. No, I mean, I, you I can't get you.
2: Sometimes happy accident. I mean, look at Coughlin. Francis Coughlin's a happy accident. Yeah. Hector Bellerin is ha- the happiest accident, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if the, Arnautovic
2: I mean, doesn't push, was it Arnautovic? Doesn't push Debuchy in the back. It was. And Chambers hadn't been embarrassed against Swansea by Moreno. We never see Hector Bellerin as a first team right back. And maybe to this day, he's still fighting for his chance to get first team action.
1: Yeah, maybe. I mean, I still think he would have made it through, but I agree, you, you need those happy accidents. And Wenger's more alchemist, you know, shaking the elements and rolling with the punches. I mean, he's a very open guy, that's the beauty of him. He's not like a Mourinho who has a system, buys players to work in that system, and if they don't work in the system, he fucks them out. And sometimes um, buys
2: players and fucks them out anyway, like McTarrion, who, I mean, I, granted, I realize he's in the squad now. But look, look let's do this, because this has become the... Um, Alexis Vision podcast, which is yeah. not an awful thing, given no. what he's just pulled off at the weekend, but we have so many things we need to get to, and we're 20 minutes into this already. Um, we are missing <laughs> the structure that Tim Tim gives us. Yes. So just just to pull the curtain back, normally we record this middle of the day, uh, uh, U.S. time, American time, because it, uh, it allows Tim to participate, obviously, being in the UK. Uh, today we are recording this in the evening hours. Uh, US time. And uh, that's when the cocktails become available to yours truly, your humble host. And that may be impacting. uh, Might be. (laughs) It might be impacting my performance. (laughs) Anyway, so look, if we keep talking about Alexis, then we can't talk about Francis Cochran, which is really our hashtag brand. So we need to do that. Um, (laughs) He went with Cochran and Shaka. And we had sort of talked about maybe it'd be Shaka Ramsey, but I thought he might want Cochran to help protect the wide positions a little better um shaka Cochlin worked brilliantly and it really brought out the best in both players before we talk coughlin i want to talk shaka and i want to say something that's going to be not just controversial but probably lead to this being the final podcast is is granted shaka actually a little bit of a sesk Fabregas is that the player he is? The you know we used to talk about Cesky. He's a quarterback, like Handeg. You know we used to. He sits deep. He distributes from deep. He breaks the lines. He goes over the top. But I mean Shaka, that's that's what he was doing all day. And it is so spectacular to watch him distribute. But Paul, these are these are line breaking passes from the midfield stripe, from behind the midfield stripe, from deep positions. He is a he is a guy with an I for passes that are not just the... Mc- I thought, are we getting a Mikel Arteta who's more athletic? Now I'm wondering, are we getting a more athletic F- Cesc Fabregas? What do you think about that?
1: Um, yeah, okay, I see that. But I think the problem is nobody's ever anybody else, are they? That's the problem. I, I'm not disagreeing with you, but that's, that's the challenge. They're never quite... To me, Chaka is more athletic, more physical, more defensive... Uh, not less attack. Well, sesk was pretty bloody at- attacking, especially as his career progressed. But at this point, comparing their early careers, not necessarily less attacking. I think he's uh, I, I think the word I like the bit, the quarterback bit, because I think that's very much the feel of him today because he is sitting fairly deep. And, you know, Cesc had various progressions in his career. Yeah, I mean, was, I'm not talking about later in
2: his career when Fabregas yeah. played, you know, further up the pitch and was involved yeah. in the goal score. But, but like, and also I realize, look, Cesc Fabregas at Arsenal led Europe in through balls, in assists. That's that's not Shaka. I'm not comparing it to that yeah. because I get that. That's not what he's meant to do. Um, yeah. Fabregas but was... But
1: definitely the quarterback thing. Right, sure. the
2: sitting deep and, and building play from deep positions with line-splitting passes. I mean, I... I think the ver- yeah. the the thing that I notice about Shaka that he has that no other player in our team besides Cazorla has, and he may be even better than Cazorla at this is the I think he is. the variety of passes right the yeah. the versatility in his passing the ability to exchange those little three yard back and forth passes the the um, recycle possession passes but then some of the some of the balls he played in this game to just blow past, just totally bypass West Ham's midfield, that's yeah. really what's been missing.
1: Curving, arcing, low along the ground balls, uh, I think he's one of the best. Uh, Santi's a great passer. Uh, he doesn't pass, have Santi's
2: ability with the ball at his feet no. in terms of uh, dribbling and getting out of tight dribbling. spaces. He yep. might be a better passer.
1: I think he's a he's a more visionary passer. Santi's great at seeing angles and lines kind of in and around him breaking a couple lines, seeing the guy, you know, finding Ozil, finding Sanchez. But but to me, Chaka is seeing lines that go like right through the lines, all the way up the pitch, Car- curving, arcing. So like he's really seeing – he's not just seeing where he wants to get the ball. He's seeing how to get the ball there, uh, not taking anything away from, from Santi, who's a very clever, really good passer who sees the game. But Granite sees it in more of a quarterbacky way. You know, the the, the uh, wide receiver making that making the run across the pitch and working out the intersections where the players are going to be. He's so good at those long, curving along the ground balls, finding his man, just like inch perfect. The, he's like one of a few who can do that.
2: I think. Um, I think the thing that's interesting too is having him in the team with Mustafi. So last yeah. season when we started well. Ramsey was playing on the right, and he would make an extra controller in midfield, right? And earlier this season, Woby started on the left. And he was that extra controller in midfield. That's the Mustafi role now. It's really weird. It's like Mustafi and Shaka sit deep and distribute between the lines and break the lines. And Cochran runs forward to just create havoc and jump in front of passes and be a spaz. and break things up and win the ball back in ways that I can't thoroughly and totally explain. Um, but and support it, it, the press. <laughs> yeah, well, of course. Yeah. I mean, yep. but but that Mustafi and Shaka combination is a really interesting one because in them you have two players that from our half can start attacks. Um, and it, it also does something for Koscielny, which is Koscielny is is not a bad passer. I don't mean to suggest that he is. But he he doesn't Build build the play from deep. I mean, he he'll give it to someone short, but he's not a, a great long passer. When he played with Sacker, if you notice, he'd always give the ball to Pear to start the attack and, yeah. and build the play.
1: Yeah, he this gives Kachelleni free
2: reign to just sort yeah. of focus on his defensive positioning. He is yeah. in a way, you know, uh, Mustafi's the stopper, and sh- and and Kishelny's the sweeper. Right? They yeah they have their roles, and it's really working.
1: A, uh, Mustafi is the baller. I mean, you, you'll see Koscielny running upfield, but you'll also see him not really knowing what to do when he's beaten <laughs> a line or two of players. And sometimes it'll work out, and sometimes he'll be like, oh, shit, I'm just standing here with the ball not working. I hadn't thought about who I was going to pass to. Mustafi is a baller. He could play midfield. He could play DM. You know.
2: Well, he, he gave the ball to, to uh, yeah. Alexis for his first goal. Now, it's hard to praise that too much because he fired it at him like, He's yeah. trying to hurt him. Um, it just so happens that Alexis has the touch of a of a sweet, sweet lover. In
1: it, it does Lockingham remind me, though, place. of bird The thing they said about Bergkamp, I think it was, I, I don't remember the full story, but the one about how uh, somebody was giving him a soft pass in training. And he's like, why the soft pass? Said, the implication was I wasn't sure you could control it. And he's like, you fire that fucker as hard as you like at me. I'll work out how to control it. Exactly. Yep. And... and I just, I'd like to believe that Mustafi saw Alexis and knew that he needed to get the ball to him quick and said, fuck it, I'm going to put some mustard on it and hope Alexis can hold on to it. And it was just absolutely superb. I'll I'll say this, though. If we liked Chaka and Mustafi uh, against, admittedly it was against West Ham, but we won't get into that, against West Ham with Gabrielle at right back, who I think did a, a creditable job, all things considered. Imagine how well the whole distribution thing would work with, say, Bellerin on the right wing. Yeah. Because um, yeah, that, that the, the player that's
2: suffering without Bellerin is Theo Walcott. And I think there's yeah. been some suggestion that Theo's form has dipped. And I would say, yeah. first of all, you don't have a controller on the left anymore. You have a true wide player. And you don't have an overlapping fullback in Bellerin. And so it's hard to judge. And even still, Walcott was put through in on goal once where... If he had a left foot, maybe he scores. And then he had the header off the he corner the kick. I mean, you, you know, look, I'm not I'm not trying to come to the defense of Theo Walcott. It wasn't the most involved game ever. But I think Theo is a player that you expect to make contributions with fewer involvements, fewer times on the ball, fewer touches, fewer passes given. So it just really affects his play, not having Bellerin overlapping on that side and also not having a Wobbe coming into the center on the left. I mean, Oxley chamberlain is more of a traditional winger. So yeah. we'll get to Ox in a minute. I think we have to spend a moment praising Cocklin because he deserves it. I have to admit, Paul, when I watch Cocklin have a good game, I can't even really explain what's going <laughs> right. Um, I don't think he is technically gifted, but... I can acknowledge that he's doing things right it's it's a very bizarre situation to be in, and maybe the situation with Cochlin is when he sits deeper, I feel he is useless now let me caveat that when he sits deeper because we are under the Kosh and he is a shield protecting our back four of course he has value but when we are playing a lesser squad and he's sitting deeper is useless. And the times this season when he's been used as a sword to go win the ball back high up the pitch, those have been the games where I felt he's most effective. Um, And obviously the quintessential moment is the opening goal where while it is Alexis's energy and drive and pace and, and brilliance to get on that ball and get free and slide it to Ozil, it is Coughlin stepping up and intercepting that ball that wins the opportunity. And his
1: atlet- athleticism, and his, in particular, yes. his first step, which he uses all over the pitch for, you know, this thing of, oh, well, they, they put in a really good cross, nobody closed them down. Now, uh, on occasions, Cockalam misses a beat and doesn't close somebody down. But he is exceptional at getting out to the player with the ball to close them down. He does it all the time, pushes them back upfield. The number of balls that have not got in as crosses uh, or, you know, balls between the lines because ab- above all our players, is brilliant at that first two strides to close somebody down, which is why he gets in- interceptions, tackles, etc. It's going to sound uh, crazy,
2: but I think he's actually a better player in the attacking half than the defensive half in terms of creating opportunities with his, his um, ball-winning capability, for lack of a better way to put it.
1: Um, but- and it's interesting because it suits, to your point, Granite, Uh, Not necessarily being the deepest man, but in possession, often staying deeper to quarterback, and it works really well.
2: 99% of league titles, and I I checked the statistics, so that's accurate, are won beating lesser teams, right? I mean, very few titles are won because you say, well, we didn't do great against Stoke, West Brom, and West Ham, but we beat the crap out of Chelsea, City, and United. Like, that's just not how titles are won, so... Yeah. I, I think the question is, can we find the solution for winning as many points as possible off the 15 teams that we should be beating, or 14 teams, yeah. and this may be the solution. Now, to be fair to Coughlin, he had some moments in this game where he showed some technical ability in tight spaces, Alexis gave him the ball at one point, point. Um in the attacking half, sort of advanced midfield, we were surrounded by three West Ham players, and he had a couple good touches and wriggled free and, and kept the attack going. So,
1: He's got some real skills. He's I, I, Well,
2: that, that might be
1: overstating it. No, I, he does. <laughs> but, but I think what throws people off is he'll drop some clangers in the same game, in games when he's playing well. He had a good game against West Ham, a really good game, but he dropped two or three awful clangers, and... In other games, when he's a little quieter because it doesn't really suit him, you'll mainly see the two or three clangers. But he does have skills. Um, He's got an eye for a pass. Uh, He's a bit one-footed. But he's more than just athletic. He has skills. He's just a bit like Theo. You can't say Theo doesn't have skills. He'll do some tremendous things. But he'll drop some clangers. And Uh,
2: the the problem is right. I mean, Theo's in a position where he can, he can touch the ball 15 times a game. And if he influences it the right way twice, that's fine. You can't have that with a two man midfield, which leads me to the next question. Do we have a two man midfield? Do we have a four, four, one, one, what the hell uh, system are we using? Because to me, Paul, it looks like four, four, two, four, four, one, one. This, the four, two, three, one is kind of dead and gone and buried and, and no longer a thing.
1: Right? <laughs> I get look, I get confused on this stuff because my whole thing about the 4 2, 3, one is that it's kind of very flexible. Uh, I'm very much with the guys who say, hey formations are how games start out when the whistle blows. but you know once the ge- once you get into a, a fluid game, players look for space. That's how uh, and any time uh, I'm always fascinated by how players describe the game. They rarely break into the the four two three one jargon. Uh, I remember Rositsky talking about, you know, closing people down, finding the space, what the manager asked them to do, etc. It's a lot more like what I was told to do when I ran onto the pitch playing, you know, uh, in a Sunday pub team.
2: Totally analogous. Uh, yep.
1: Yeah, absolutely the same thing. <laughs> Slightly less level, but everything right. applies. And, you know, they play the game. Now there's a lot of intelligence with it, which pus- pushes them into positions. Now I know there's more to it that, uh, and there's more structure than that. And certainly with Pep and Co, it's 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 fairly well defined. But I do well. It's uh, what and you're do doing agree- in
2: situations, by the way. I'll just break in for a second, which is you can have a system. You can have a four-two-three-one defensively and a four-four-one-one in attack. You you know what I mean, like. In yep. possession, you can strive for a certain distribution of resources across the pitch a certain way, and out of possession, you can strive for just you know a distribution of resources across the pitch in another way. And the only problem with that is, I actually think out of possession, it's easier to look and see a formation because your players are standing roughly where they think they should be, whereas in possession, they tend to be where the ball is. You know,
1: though, so, so to me, the, our you know. Our formation out of possession, it's kind of, uh, that to me is not the measure really of anything very, it's not really how you play, that's just how you sit and defend. Um, And then you got transitions, and you know, that's kind of a a very fluid, who's in position, You, you might decide who stays, you know, do you keep a striker up, or do you keep a striker in a number 10, but that's you kind of a formation based on two players. And again, it's out of possession. When we're in possession, we're typically up the other end and we have them pinned in. Arsenal doesn't spend a lot of time just battling it out into the middle of the field where we have a very set position. So I kind of feel we have a very fine fallback position, but that's kind of meaningless. That's just offensive. And in attack, you know, I've seen... uh, uh, Chamberlain standing on the centre spot a striker. Alexis is buggered off. Theo's out right. Then he's in the centre. You know, probably your wing backs, your full backs coming up on the wing are about the only people who ever maintain a position. Um, and then you got your relative positioning between Chaka and uh, Caulain on this occasion. Uh, Ozil's always running away from everybody to find a pocket of space over to the left side or the right side. To me. I just think it's so hard to define that in terms of formations that it, formations don't do that much for me w- with Arsenal. I I see it more with the Chelsea. I see it more with the uh, uh, City. With us, we kind of got three different modes and one of them so highly fluid. I don't know how you can call it a, a uh, formation. And the only time we're we're actually very defined in a formation to me, we're probably without the ball and sitting back.
2: I think for me, when I watch it, the, the thing that I see most clearly is the difference that it makes when we have a player like Ramsey or Owobi nominally playing on the wing versus when we start Theo and Ox. Um, and, yeah. you know, I, that, that creates a totally different dynamic. But I, I think what's happening is the manager is kind of, creating a system around this partnership that exists between ozil and alexis you know the yeah. center spaces of the pitch are mostly theirs to operate in and he's kind of cleared out i mean if this makes sense yeah. he's kind of cleared the, out this the speaks options.
1: be more than the formation thing the, the, that is what I see going on. He's cleared and out those space in the are, middle for Ozil yeah.
2: and, and Alexis to just kind of do their thing, and and the rest of the team kind of cycles around that. But but in the yep. the final third, in the in the attacking third of the pitch, you have Alexis and you have Ozil, and that's it. That's their world to kind of occupy and dominate, and they they're doing it now. The player we have, yeah, and to talk. everybody,
1: everybody else references and fills the gaps away from them. And yes, the two fullbacks uh, have a more formal position typically, and Chaka and Cacalam will find a, a positioning. But everybody else is kind of in a, a swirl. It's like stirring your tea with the spoon. I mean, that's that's what they're doing. Uh, and you'll hear the manager frustrated that our movement was poor and our passing wasn't quick enough. Basically, means the swirl we didn't swirl good. Uh, or, or the the defense was so I would so love to
2: hear that tight. in a in a post match uh mat, the manager's post match interview. Uh Arsene what do you th- it 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 ended in a scoreless draw today? What did you think went wrong? Uh well uh, we didn't swirl, right? Uh the spoon didn't swirl the
1: tea. it, it- Everybody wants to think they stir the cup of tea the best. I think he went a little Mexican there, I'm going to so. level
2: with you. Between you and me, there's a good impression there. But individually, <laughs> those are Arsene the two Wenger. worst Arsene banger impressions ever done.
1: <laughs> Look, we I gotta, wasn't doing an Arsene banger impression. I was doing an impression of you doing an Arsene banger impression. Well, then you
2: nailed it. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Look, we we got to talk about Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. I, I have to level with you. I was... <laughs> <laughs> Not sure what to make of this performance. I know that sounds crazy, but I I really wasn't. I wasn't sure what to make of it um, until the last fifteen or twenty minutes. I was
1: going to H- say, let's work backwards. Well, your, uh, no, your no, mistake but, but, but hang on, because you remember him at the start of the well, game. Well,
2: that's what I'm saying. So so the first sixty or seventy minutes of this game. Well, I don't think he was bad, by the way. He he had some brilliant moments, confirmed the things about him, I believe, which is he holds the ball too long. He wants the extra touch, the extra dribble. He wants to carry the ball further. He wants to beat the man himself instead of letting the ball do the work. And ultimately, he's not confident enough in the final ball he's going to give, and that causes problems. And we did see that a number of times. And then, amazingly, miraculously, and maybe it's a byproduct of the the game being won, but he, he found the right ball. He changed that. He found the ability to, to, to give the ball that was needed when it was needed. He obviously, we know he can strike a ball and he struck the ball absolutely brilliantly for his goal. But is this game an example of what Ox can become? Or is this game more about Ox really kind of being what we think he is? And it just worked a little bit in the last 15 minutes.
1: Guess what my one-word answer is? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, it is, isn't so, it? It is. Yeah. You just—it's like Memento, though. You just got to play it backwards, and it'll be fine.
2: No, oh, um, I, I like that because I um, like that movie.
1: Yeah. Uh, here's another movie you might like. So, Pulp Fiction. You know the bit with Uma Thurman and John Travolta, and they go out dancing. And uh, I do know it's it? It's all yeah. It's all kind of weird and dancing, and it's kind of fun and kind of but bit dreamlike. And then she ODs. And he's stuck with Ving Rames's I think it's Ving Rhames' – anyway, uh, Bird lying on the ground, basically dead. And he panics, but with clear thought, grabs a syringe full of adrenaline, because everybody has one of those, and bangs it into the chest and brings her back to life. To me, that's what that goal is for Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. You
2: went a long way for that, Paul, so make this I count. did.
1: <laughs> this syringe – was is not full of adrenaline, Elliot. It's full of confidence. Mm-hmm. That was John Travolta stabbing Oxlade-Chamberlain through the heart with confidence because that's really, really what he was lacking in the first. It, it, he did a lot of great things in this game. He sure and, did.
2: I, I mean, I give that he had a lot of space to operate in at times, yeah. too. I mean, that's the one thing that worries me a little bit is on the counterattack I think Oxford Chamberlain can be devastating. I mean, if yeah. he learns to give the ball at the right time. Having said that, we had a lot of he had a lot of chances to run into open spaces in midfield and give that final ball. I'm not sure it how did. often that'll be the case.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's right. But even kind of before the goal, even before late in the game, I think in the first half he puts he does. Yeah, he puts Alexis through one on one with the keeper with a beautiful through ball. Uh, faultless he could have been the assister in the first half that was the first time Alexis was through one-on-one with the keeper you'd actually put money on Alexis to uh, finish that off but he ran to the keeper and took the ball too far blah 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 that was a beautiful move there were a couple of other beautiful moves where his final ball was the opposite of what we talked about earlier in terms of being able to make a decision late and put the right ball in um, and that's what I hope confidence will do from that he'll stop shitting his pants every time he beats four players gets into the penalty area and he looks up and he decides where he's going to put the ball in because he'll have the confidence of having scored a goal, having basically created a goal, blah 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 from the last game look good. But but we could be back to square one the next time round. I just want to say I've always backed the Ox if things turn out right.
2: I'll say this, you know Theo comes off and Ramsey comes on and and then the game is won. I think we are still a, a, a team that is better and best suited for one pacey, dribbly, athletic, wide player and one controller. And Ramsey coming on changed that's that. That's when we
1: got our four game, We got our four goals after Ramsey yes, came on.
2: And that's my point. I, I think you want to start Theo. Great, put a Wobie on the left or Ramsey on the left, whoever you want to start. Ox, fine. Start a Wobie or start Ramsey or you know whatever the, whatever the solution is. I, I still am not convinced. By Walcott and and Oxley Chamberlain together, um, and I know it worked I, in this game because we still had can, plenty of chances yeah. to be four, five, six up before that. But my 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 only criticism there would true. be, and this is where I think the West Ham being absolute shit, not having defenders and all that, does come into play. Um, we just had such easy ability. I mean, there was a point yeah. there where what. I think Czech rolled the ball out. I can't remember when it was in the game, but Czech rolled the ball out. We played one pass, and and Theo I think was in on goal, or mm. or so, someone was in. It just there were too many, so many opportunities where we didn't even have to play the ball in midfield to be on the front foot and have them on the back foot. And I, I just that's where I think you can read a little too much into it. So look, I mean, but can I say something on
1: that? Yeah, which is. I I can see why he picked this lineup on the day. Um he obviously wanted Cockla and Chaka in midfield. That gave him a little bit of a challenge with Ramsey because Ramsey would have wanted to play midfield. Uh he played him during the week so he can use the he's resting him and you know he doesn't want to play him two games a week and that makes a lot of sense. That's
2: my line credit me.
1: Yeah. So um <laughs> you know but against West Ham, playing Ox and Theo uh, against a backline, you know, th- a three-man uh, centre-back back line, which he was expecting to face. You know, Ox is really good at running on the running at the sem- centre-backs. Now, anything might happen when it happens, but uh, that is one of his strengths: running at players, dribbling, or getting behind them. I thought Montreal did great getting behind them. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, it's funny.
2: He, he did great getting behind them. So many of his chances to do something with those positions didn't quite come off. You know what I loved, Paul? You know what I really loved? I love the cutback from a wide position. Yeah. I, I, if you get in a 10 wide position. I thought he position, did
1: well, though. Did, did you think he. I thought his. No, no, no. I thought he did fine. wasn't necessarily the problem. It was people making the better run from There were too many times I'm like. Jesus, T.O. or somebody, get your arse into the six-yard. No, box. no, no.
2: I, I don't think I didn't mean that he did poorly. I meant that he just yeah. he 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 had a couple of positions where he was you know completely in. Uh, yeah, on, two on or left. three
1: times he was in. Yeah,
2: right. But but the thing I did like is I like a pullback. You know, I love a pulled back cross, especially for us, because if we're not playing with with Giroud we don't have anyone who necessarily has the mindset of getting to the near post or heading a ball in so pull the ball back for the late run right the late Alexis run who's dropped deep the late run from Ozil you know pull the ball back and that's where the good things are going to happen I mean this game was a joy to watch and I think you know the one thing that can happen sometimes is especially on this podcast because you know let's call spade a spade I mean we can get so caught up in, oh, what's the system? What you know, what were the expected goals? What 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 were the pass completion percentages? What what were the chances that were wasted? But this was a fun game to watch. Arsenal dominated, Arsenal created chances, Arsenal played beautiful flowing attacking football, and goal beautiful goals were scored. Our striker really transcended the game with his quality and his goal scoring. So there is a point at which you can just say, All right, you know what? This doesn't mean we're going to win the title. This doesn't mean we're the best team ever. You should enjoy these performances, because if I'm not going to be a hypocrite, and you know this, Paul, one of the things I've complained about in previous seasons is we didn't play pretty football. We didn't have fun, big wins that I, you know, I could enjoy, that the games were stale often or the seasons were stale. This is what we've missed, right? I mean, the more we play football like this, the more the fans will, I think, tolerate a third or fourth place finish where it doesn't just quite happen for us because maybe there was an injury or you know maybe there were two better teams. You play like this, people will forgive a lot more, won't they?
1: Well, this was, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, basically. This was incredibly enjoyable right down to your tippy toes. I mean, even, it was around the seventy minute th- 70th minute we were still only 1-0 up but it had been one hell of a game i mean i would have been pissed it,
2: if we blew that and if we had turned that yeah. into a 1-1 but i can't i would i would be lying if i said i hadn't really enjoyed what i was watching to that point you know
1: yeah and you know while we're saying west ham weren't very good they weren't terrible until we gave them a mauling i mean there was they were lucky in the first half and we were profligate or unlucky depending on how you look at it we should have been three up four up by halftime but they could have been one one with us you know Andy Carroll was warming up on the fecking touch line when we were still one zero up uh we were only a paillette free kick away as it turned out and as we probably suspected in our tippy toes from being one one away so you you can't take these games for granted it may have ended up five one we may have been magnificent we may have been Uh, brilliant in both halves against a weakened West Ham, but it doesn't guarantee you anything. You still got to finish these guys off and we absolutely obliterated them in the end. And we take, and the thing is in a week's time or three days time, you forget all about the circumstances of what you bring forward is a rousing good win uh, players in form uh, connections being made. I mean, that shit fires up the neurons and, 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 burn some deep grooves into how players find each other on the pitch. They go looking for that in the next game and the next game. So, yeah, it's great. You, that, that ain't just one game. You, you bank that and you bring it forward.
2: But even, but even if it was, like, yeah, you, you know, yeah. at some point you watch, yes, you watch the games to build a season and eventually hopefully win a title. But, like, don't you also watch games to enjoy the game in yeah. in it's individual abstraction right like i mean if you're only ever watching a game for its ramifications on your title hopes then there are 19 teams that are going to be fucking miserable at the end of every season like Look, i get it t- if you're a f- byron fan or maybe a rail or barca fan but otherwise that just doesn't work
1: you're talking to the guy who if pushed might mention reading seven five as just about his favorite game ever
2: Okay, that's you know that's an opinion,
1: <laughs> and, we, and we got knocked out of the league cup the next round or the round after that one. So yeah, I, I get. I mean, if you're if you if you're, and, if you're and watching
2: for banter and banter alone, then yes, I totally agree with you.
1: But but people forget where we were at that. You know that that wasn't a meaningless game. We we were so low as a team in terms of morale you know, how the fans were with the manager. No, at
2: halftime, I remember on Twitter, even at halftime, it was like, are they handing out pitchforks? Let's go, let's yeah. do this. Yeah. Uh,
1: and so, I mean, it was just a movie script of a game. Uh, it was just, anyway. Not, so, not yeah, anyone I, would
2: have believed that movie. All right, well, look, enough about that. Here, here's the the thing. Oh, well, if we're just waxing poetic about things we enjoyed. So, you know, the, the thing that I think makes Mesut Ozil such a tough player for some people to love is he does some things that I just don't think get fully appreciated, and I know that's an obvious statement, but the pass he played to put Monreal in for the pullback that didn't quite get to Alexis, he doesn't play it out wide. He plays it between the center backs. Mm. And it is the most exceptional pass because not only is the weight perfect, but he has passing windows, right? He has to pick a window. And the obvious window to pick is to go out wide around the fullback or between the fullback and center back. And he doesn't do either of those things. He goes between the the center backs, and it is just an extraordinary pass. And it, as I watched it, it made me it realize because like, it comes to nothing, and that's the kind of thing that pundits and and probably a lot yeah. of supporters and myself on a lot of occasions probably don't fully appreciate.
1: To me, he's just got he's got. I mean, he talked about being very uh, cool when he finishes. Uh, he was talking about, like, in, in practice, but generally goal scoring. But I think he's got the cold blood in his veins all the time, him and Alexis. And he saw the gap between the centre-back and the the full-back was bigger than usual. And he had a sense of where Monreal is and what Mar- Monreal does and what direction he was heading. And he might not have known exactly how he was turning out, it was turning out, but he was thinking – if this comes off, this is fucking payday stuff. I could put it out to the wing like normal. That's good. But hang on. This is maximum points if this connects on the other side. And he's like, he sees the gap. He says, I will play that through the middle.
2: Yeah. And and it's it's one of those things about Ozil that I think, you know, when, when you consider the difficulty setting his passing his passing is on and then you say, Oh well he completed ninety six and a half percent of his passes. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's not completing passes just where he's tapping it back and forth to, to Shaka or Cockla, and he's he's yeah. playing, you know third window through balls into space for the fullback. So
1: Hey hey, you know what I wanted to say? Um we talked about Granite and Cockala, and I'm not saying uh, we talked about in previous pods, we need more than one partnership. We've seen that in uh, in previous years in midfields for a variety of reasons, from everything from tactical to options to injuries. You need more than one partnership, and this might be one. We'll have to see it in other games. But what I particularly liked about this, uh, I think I said it on Twitter, this was one of their most balanced performances with Coquelin because, you know, even with Santee, you'd see Santee making 100 passes and Coquelin making like 35 and there was a nice give and take between these guys. I mean, Granite still did more of what you'd expect Granite to do, but they were pretty close on everything from tackles, interceptions, passing, I think, like, pulling numbers out of the air, but Granite was like 58 and Coquelin was like 53 passes. Granite's Passing percent was higher, but
2: ninety you go to through eighty. Vir-
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, so you go through the stats, and, and you can make excuses to why uh, Cockland's w- passing was maybe under a little bit more pressure. But as you go through the stats, it was—I'm um, not saying they were the same, but there was a kind of a balance that you don't normally see with a Cockland anybody uh, pairing. So I thought that was pretty good in terms of they—they're already finding an understanding that doesn't ask Cockland to be a freak. For it to work.
2: Yeah. I, I, look, I, the only question that will now have to be asked is it looks like this is an answer, but it's hard to evaluate in light of the fact that the opposition sure. may have been absolute pants and we just don't know. So we'll see. Uh, and and the
1: formation that they went to, I mean, they emptied uh, uh, the uh, breakdown with Adrian Clark. I mean, you talked about it. As things went on, they kind of emptied out the midfield. Yeah. Uh, well, everybody was in attack or in defense. So. What made
2: the, the game so weird, like like evaluating Ox, for example, is just that Ox spent most of the game, like a lot of the game, running through the center of midfield on counterattacks, which yeah. he's not going to have that opportunity very often. So, look, all right, it, it was an amazing win, a lot of great performances. I think given that we had been getting by performance-wise, but we hadn't had a resounding uh, – uh, sorry, we'd been getting by results-wise, but we hadn't had a resounding performance. This was much needed, and I'm glad we got it. Do you make wholesale changes for Basel? I mean, look, Ludigrits aren't going to get a result in Paris. I don't think we should play for Ludigrits to get a result in Paris. Um, is this a 11-changes kind of match for you, the, the Basel away game?
1: Well, I don't know what I'd do, but reading Arson's tea leaves, I mean, I, I liked what he said that he was bringing everybody because he wanted to keep the team together. The implication by that was he was going to make changes, uh, but he still wanted everybody there. He didn't want to rest Alexis. He didn't want to rest Ozil. But that's kind of his thinking. Uh, in But he just wants them to rest as part of the team together. And then he talks about, you know, you, you can actually rest people and it doesn't necessarily do you a favor uh, in terms of form or fitness. Because uh, at the end of the day, nobody really knows. And I, you know, I think there's a lot to back that up. There's also some science that shows players playing consistently get less injured than players who are kind of on again off again so you can argue it either way so my my guess is um, he's going to want to rest a couple of people but on the bench and so um, I think he'll make it I've no idea what his lineup will be but just reading his tea leaves he'll he'll make he'll rest a few but mostly from what he said he wanted to keep the momentum going he wants to keep people playing
2: that seems stupid
1: well i mean here's the way i look at it right i don't we have a match on the 10th we have
2: a match on the 13th we have a match on the 18th we have a match on the 26th we have a match on the first we have a match on the third and then it's preston on the seventh that's the next like potential take it easy moment so it's it's what, six games, one, two, three, four, five, yeah, six league games between the 10th of December and the 3rd of January. And
1: a So totally how many changes would you make against a- Basel?
2: 11.
1: <laughs> no.
2: Yeah, I, well, I'll give you my lineup. You want it? Sure. It's going to be Ospina, so we know that, right? Yep. I'd start Jenkinson on the right.
1: Okay.
2: I, I guess I'd go holding in Gabrielle. so that's not a change per se. Um, i 'd start Gibbs on the left. I would go with el and an other <laughs> um I mean maybe Zelaylam he trained with the first team this week maybe maitland niles i don't i don't know who who plays who plays central midfield for Arsenal?
1: why wouldn't you play chaka he 's barely played this year
2: well i wouldn't, um, i wouldn't with- play Chaka because i 'd argue that he is now the single most important midfield player we have because He's the only person that can that can remotely. But if the
1: stats pick, show that players who are rested get injured every bit as easily as players who play consistently, but not beyond okay. the threshold.
2: It, it's my eleven. Can I pick it?
1: <laughs> I, I'm just wondering okay. what, what the logic is. There's no reason not to play Chaka in my book. I, I'd
2: probably go. I'd probably go El Nenny. I mean, maybe he'll pick Ramsey. I mean, maybe that's the Rubicon now. Maybe that's maybe that's the 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 um, conceit is that Ramsey plays these games that give the manager an excuse not to play him on the weekend when he can. Um, so maybe can it's El- ne- Elneny and Ramsey. What was that?
1: I can see that, yeah. yeah. I-,
2: I mean, I know it sounds crazy, but so maybe it's Elneny and Ramsey in midfield, and then Lucas, Giroud, and... I mean, who who are the guys that are playing the attacking role? He can't play Ozil. He can't play... Lucas, Giroud... Um, he can play Oxlade. Oxlade, Chamberlain, yeah, fine, and then you need one more. It's not going to be Ozil, it's not going to be Alexis, so...
1: You got Woby.
2: Yeah, all right, there you go. Absolutely, I love that. So, Ox, Iwobi, Lucas, and Giroud. I don't like it. I hate it, but I mean, we the game is total, look, the one thing we know is... It's if, not total, no no, 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 beat. No, but, all right, Paul, hang on, just for one second. This is the one area where I disagree, right? We lost 2-0 at home in the League Cup and won 5-0 away just three days later, Okay, or four days yeah, later, okay?
1: Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah hang on, it's hits this the game, League Cup and we did no, no, 97 no. changes.
2: Okay, but but really quick, and we, we should wrap up, but if we beat Basel 15-0 with a mostly changed side and Ludogratz lose 1-0 at Paris, the game's meaningless. If We're that not going to beat Basel can, can we agree to this? Look, okay. I, I want to give you this. Here's here's what happened. I mean, l- let's look at our Champions League games, right? So, okay, we played we played PSG in the Champions League. Was that our first Champions League game? It was no.
1: PSG was, was our first. Okay, yeah. yeah. At home. Next sorry, game, we home. dominated
2: Hull, so that doesn't hold. Okay, we played. Basel, 2-0 against Basel. Then we had that really terrible win at Burnley, 1-0. We destroyed Ludigritz 6-0. 0-0 at home to Middlesbrough. We won 3-2 away at Ludigritz, 1-1 home to Tottenham, where we didn't really have the pace of the game. 2-2 to Paris, Saint-Germain. And then the 3-1 to Bournemouth, where we struggled early but, but overcame late. But I mean... I guess so what you I'm know saying- what I
1: heard in all of that? Mm-hmm. From the first game where we were shit against Liverpool and lost, the manager has managed to, one way or another, eke out consistent wins and draws in an unbeaten run beyond the League Oh, Cup
2: yeah, no, no, no. No, I wasn't criticising I, that.
1: I, and, I, no, I I'm miss- not saying you're criticising. I think you're missing why. Momentum, teams playing together, getting a feel for each other. And what I picked up from him in the press conference for this is uh, I mean I think you're right I think there may be more changes than my first initial reaction but I absolutely don't see a let's play this like a league cup he'll want to win it he'll want to play, he wants us to play well he wants us to keep momentum he will make as many changes as he can without diluting it from the core of the kinds of performances well, here, here's the only uh, thing I can tell you. That's my bet. I okay. don't know for a certainty, but that's that's my instinct. That's I can it. say this to you.
2: we, I remember a game where we went to Olympiacos in a similar situation where there was very little at stake because the the group positions were kind of set, and we played kids and lost at Olympiacos. Like, so I, I don't think he's going to care. I mean, at least there's history that he doesn't. What I will say is the next game that matters for Arsenal is Arsenal hosting Stoke. It is an absolute, absolute must-win and must-win comfortably because then it is at Everton, at City, with you know four days in between, and the Arsenal, Stoke, and Everton games are, are are two days apart. So, considering we're going into our busiest period, and considering the group is pretty much sorted out, Ludigritz is not getting a result in Paris. I just don't see the upside. I think you treat this as a training match for players. Because, you know what, Paul? Here's my counterpoint.
1: It's not a training match if you put players in with players who haven't played together. It's a training oh, okay. match if Can seven I give you my of the players...
2: My, my counterpoint is are, there are players at Arsenal who are good players who aren't playing as much as they might like to, like a Lucas Perez, like an Olivier Giroud... Um, like a Mohamed El Nenny, although he has played quite a bit. But,
1: but if you throw them all in at the same time, they get it's a, a run practice. out.
2: They get a touch of the ball. They get a competitive environment.
1: They can have, uh, Ugh. Ugh. What he wants is to Arsenal, Arsenal to play consistently and well in an Arsenal way in every game. He'll want to make some changes, but he won't throw in 11 players or shake hands. Will
2: he play Kashelny?
1: Um. I could see him making your centre back changes. Will he
2: play Mustafi? No, you said the centre back changes. Okay, we know he's not going to play yeah. Czech because that's we have a we have a Champions League keeper. Will he play Alexis?
1: Okay. See, the problem with the centre back changes is he needs a right wing. Will, will he play Jenkinson? Yeah, he might give. Je- okay, yeah, all right. This is the problem. You began to sway, persuade me <laughs> right, as I go one
2: by one, it starts to make sense. I mean, where you're probably right so, is Xhaka one of Shaka or Coughlin. Minutes. One of Shaq or Cochlin will play with El Nenny. I agree with you there. He's probably not gonna start like a Zalelum in Correct. in the Champions League or or, or Jeffrey in Adelaide, I wouldn't think. Um he's not gonna play Alexis Rosal. would you even want him to play Alexis Rosal?
1: Um he might play one of them. Um whoever he feels is God, freshest and and fine okay you know what i wouldn't i I don't think i would want him to play them no
2: we agreed beforehand that just the two of us talking about a game that was a comfortable victory would lead to at most 45 minutes of good content and we're an hour and seven minutes of terrible content (laughs) so i'm calling it off at this point i'm very very excited to see one
1: of us has been drinking
2: uh, yeah and to be fair i've been drinking enough for two people so still good um so hooray for the big win um I already rattled it off after Basel. It's at a uh, at Everton at city home to brought West Brom home to palace at Bournemouth before we play Preston in the FA cup. And that's a run where we can take some points. And Oh, by the way, no Aguero or Fernandinho for that Manchester city game. So yes, it's at city, but you will not be handed a better opportunity to take points from them at their place than playing without Fernandinho and Aguero. So We'll see what happens, but the run we're about to come on is probably going to determine whether we're right there at the end of the season. I would say by the time we face Preston, we'll have a pretty good idea of whether there's a title challenge on. So we'll see. Fingers crossed. Paul, I appreciate you uh, coming on at this hour of the evening and putting up with my uh, wine-induced ramblings. Uh, you can find Paul on Twitter, at into I appreciate it. Likewise. Okay, uh, my name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, <laughs> at Yankee Gunner. That
1: <laughs> like I was in a mood. Hang it, on, it sure did. Likewise, well,
2: thank you. Uh, my name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, at Yankee Gunner. Please do. I apologize for this podcast uh, in advance. Although by the time you've listened, it will be in retrospect. Uh, up the Arsenal. Enjoy the Basel match, where the manager will certainly make eleven changes, and we'll talk to you after the Stoke match on the weekend. I don't know whether it's Saturday or Sunday, and I'm not going to pretend I do. And anyway, I'm going to finish my wine. Cheers. Enjoy your evening day whenever you're listening to this
1: bye